the, if, if you are in a situation where everything is monitored and everything is surveilled, you are very, very likely to not say what you really think, to not act in a way that is according to what you really feel, to, to hide information, to not talk truthfully to other people, and that's very, very dangerous. And yeah, it, it essentially leads to a society that is less innovative because if you can't think or if, if you risk your life essentially because there, there can also be some situations where if you go against what the government, government wants, your money is frozen or you, you, you don't get to, to have your money to buy food and that means death by starvation. So if there's such a situation, there will be less innovation because innovation is always risky because it goes against the status quo. Monero Talk is sponsored by Cake Wallet, a trustless open source wallet that gives you the keys to your crypto. Invoice, donate, and trade your Monero with peace of mind, peace of cake. And by StealthyX, an instant exchange where privacy is a top concern. Go to StealthyX.io to instantly exchange between Monero and 450 plus assets without having to create an account or register and with no limits. Making StealthyX a simple way to purchase Monero with crypto anonymously. Monero Talk is also made possible from contributions by viewers and listeners like you. And supporting us is easier than ever by typing in monerotalk.crypto in your monero.com or cake wallet send address field to send us a tip. This week on Monero Talk. Douglas Tuman interviews Martin Gundinger, a senior research fellow at both the Austrian Economic Center and Frederick A. V. Hayek Institute. The two discuss Martin's path to Austrian economics, different ways of implementing a free market society for libertarians, the state of libertarianism in Europe and potential for adopting Monero, how CBDCs are being worked on in Europe, can privacy-minded people convince the general public of the need for privacy enough to get political will to stop state attacks on privacy, is privacy a natural right, the difference between a right and a privilege, the economic case for privacy, would an economy that ran on Bitcoin and Monero be more efficient, and much more. Monero Talk starts now. All right, Martin, how's it going, man? Good, good. How is it going for you? Good, good. Um, so we we met back in, uh, I guess it was June, at MoneroCon in Prague. It was nice meeting you right, then. Yeah. And Same, yeah. I, I know, I know, we chatted a little bit. We had, I think, we we had you on live on Monerotopia that day when we were streaming live. Uh, but I want to br- I wanted to bring you back on and do a proper Monero talk um, and just 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 have a conversation. I I guess first and foremost, if you can. Uh, introduce yourself to the Monero community. Of course. My name is Martin. I'm uh, an economist at the Austrian Economic Center in Vienna. And yeah, I've been in the Austrian economics 
scene for quite a while, I would say almost 15 years now. And yeah, because of Austrian economics, I got very interested in privacy as well, because as, as you probably know, Austrian economics is not that, well, it's, it's very critical of government, of course. And considering what happened in the last 10 years, at least, and uh, yeah, even, even much, 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 much faster since COVID happened, the, the government pandemic, well, um, that kind of accelerated my ascent to privacy issues and, and Monero, of course, as well. So, yeah. Um, what I'm, was I'm also, what, what your original uh, path towards Austrian economics? I got to know Austrian economics when I was in university studying economics, but I didn't hear from it from any professors. Actually, I had a, a colleague, a study colleague, that was like, have you heard of Mises? And I was like, no, not yet. Who's this guy? And then he told me a little bit about him, and I was like, that guy sounds very, very interesting and very common sense. So I looked into him, and yeah, I read Human Action. I was like, that makes a whole lot of sense. And after that, I stumbled across or stumbled on Rothbard and read Man, Economy, and State. Mm -hmm. And I think after that, I was pretty much an, an anarchist. I, I read Hoppe after that. But I have to say, I don't like Hoppe too much because from, from my taste, he's much too much too logical in, in some in some sense. I, I don't think he really he, he really respects human nature enough because human nature is not always logical. But yeah, I'm, I'm still very much an anarchist. I would say uh, probably an agorist. So Samuel Edward Konkin is probably the guy that is closest to my heart. All right. So uh, you, you're, you're in the right place. You're among good company. What what is your your day job though? So so obviously you're you're interested in Austrian economics uh, for for all the I guess philosophical reasons, right? That that kind of naturally took you there. But is is your day job as an economist, or what do you do by day? Just just curious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. Um, I'm I'm working as a senior research fellow at the Austrian Economic Center. And also, you know, doing studies, sometimes even um, having some talks with politicians, unfortunately, which I don't like too much. But I'm I'm invited as an example, as an expert at the budget hearing next week in Austria. Yeah, will be interesting, I guess. I, I already looked into the budget, what they did there, and it's just completely ridiculous and it gets more ridiculous each pass, passing year, it's just a mess. Why is it that you don't talk, like talking to politicians? Is it because of your, your Conklin views, your philosophical agorist views, that you, you, you just see it as being a, a wa essentially a waste of time to, to deal with their system? Exactly. That's it. Yeah. I, I don't get why, why I should even talk with politicians at this point. It's just 
nothing's going to change without them being forced by, you know, circumstances, by economic circumstances to change anything. And nothing I say will will induce any change, in my opinion, when it comes to talking with politicians. So, yeah, waste of time. Yeah, I, I personally struggle with that, whether or not I think it's it's worth the time and effort. I always kind of describe it as, um, you know, tunneling in from from both sides, right? Uh, I, I see, I see value in completely ignoring the current system, opting out, and building a, a new system outside of it, and focusing on that. You know, kind of the the cypherpunk idea ideology, right? So in this case, build, building Monero, focusing on Monero, not rather than asking governments for permission, just make it unstoppable, right? But I also see value in trying to work on this end of things and to move society towards being accepting of these technologies, which inevitably involves politics because you're trying to convince large portions of society. But uh, I, I, well, yeah, I, what, I agree on that. What's but... Well, I, I agree on that, mm. but I think that the most value could be in just slowing down the descent in some socialist hellhole. That's, in my opinion, the most value in, in dealing with politicians at that point, just to, to slow the process a little bit down and to give us more time to create alternative structures. That's, in my opinion, the, the, the most important contribution libertarians can do by by you know getting involved in the political process but other than that mm. i don't see too much value in it so yeah 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 no i i, I tend to agree with you you're saying so the values in, in trying to slow slow down governments prevent them from creating onerous and unnecessary regulations is that what you're saying yeah 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 yeah, yeah. definitely definitely agree with that yeah um yeah, I, mean, I was just talking to family members the other day uh, and close friends, and they're like, they're like, I don't understand you. You, you know, you ran for Congress, but you, you're you're basically an anarchist. I'm like, well, one doesn't necessarily, you know, negate the other. I mean, if you, if you were to get into office, the the idea would be to try to reduce the the power that government has as much as possible, right? Um, I, I I do think that that's that's a decent strategy. Like, uh, you know, the, the guy we're seeing that's running for, for president down in Argentina. I don't know. Are you keeping a close eye on that? I'm not keeping a particular close eye on that, but I have a friend that is an Argentinian and he's very much in favor of him for yeah obvious reasons. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I hope that how's, how's he called again? I, I always forget uh, his name. Melee or melee? I don't know. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, I hope a lot of people. I hope that. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. I, I, I hope that guy will will make it. Would be a very interesting experiment. By the yes. way, uh, I I was also a political candidate quite a while back as a youth candidate for a party. Okay. And what I what I saw there probably was also contributing to to my uh, anarchist I hear you I hear you I hear let's you let's put it this way <laughs> yes yes no I, I I couldn't agree more I mean my day job I experienced it with my with my day job and then when I ran for office I saw how for lack of a better term how the sausage gets made right behind the scenes yeah. so I um, it's 
it kind of turns you into even more, yeah, more of a, a disbeliever in government when you go through the process. Um, tell tell me There's more about. Actually, go ahead. For, of, of Tom Saul, you you for, for sure you know him. He actually said that he wasn't cured from socialism by Milton Fried, Friedman, but he was cured from socialism by working for the government. Yes. So, yeah, it, it probably is something that applies to most people. Yes, yes, exactly. Um, tell me more about the Austrian Economic Center. Yeah, the Austrian Economic Center is based in Vienna. We are trying to bring back the Austrian school to Austria or Austrian school thinking to Austria. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, there's not that much left in Austria. I would say it's much more of the Austrian thinking is in the US nowadays. In in all of Europe, there's not not much left of, of libertarianism per se. Maybe maybe in wow. Spain. Uh, and yeah, there are also some some Austrian libertarians are getting more, but yeah, still still very much a niche. But yeah, we we are trying our best. We are also trying to provide uh, libertarian solutions for the problems of that that we are dealing with currently as a society. So we are also dealing with stuff like climate change. We don't really care whether climate change is real or not, or how much humans really contribute to to climate change. Our argument there, for example, is to just say, if you want to, to protect the climate, make people richer. Because if people are getting richer, the tendency is that they pollute the climate less for each unit produced. So it's it's pretty much a good idea to just get out of the way for government to protect protect the climate. It's, it's not something that, that is in contradiction to what libertarians want. And yeah, that's just one of our projects. Currently, we are also dealing with inflation, of course. I, I guess every economic think tank has that high on their agenda currently. And yeah, we, we are making the typical Austrian arguments there, like it's it's the government's fault. It's the central banks that are behind all of the inflation. And it's not the, the bad business and it's not greed that it is responsible for that. But yeah, it's it's government. You mentioned you mentioned Spain uh, potentially being a, a hotbed of libertarianism. Is it in? Do you feel in general that it's maybe gaining more traction in Europe? I mean, obviously things are further encroaching towards greater socialism, but is there a larger counter movement that that's growing in reaction to it? That's very hard to say. I think that in response to what the governments did. Uh, with with COVID, with the the pandemic, mm-hmm. I think that there are more libertarian tendencies now because yeah. people are just completely fed up. Mm-hmm. Uh, how that will translate, whether libertarianism will profit mid to long term, I'm not sure because there's so many, many issues coming up with the 
with the social security schemes crashing, with the pension schemes crashing, with government spending just completely going bananas, with, yeah, it's essentially the, the people and the business more and more um, reliant on, on government help, government aid. So it's it's difficult, the situation that Europe is in right now. Let's see. I'm, I'm really not sure. Well, I mean, this is probably a difficult question, uh, but what would you say are maybe some of the the areas of Europe that are maybe most amenable to these concepts where you have, you know, uh, groups of people that are maybe more libertarian leaning. You mentioned Spain. Is it like parts of Spain or are there, are there other areas that come to mind? I'm just curious. It's just parts of Spain. There's, I, I'm not sure how the university is called, but uh, Jesus Huerta de Soto is, is working there with, with, with quite a few other Austrian economists. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. The, how about like social... So so, like, among communities, which I know is a difficult question, but I mean, you have a better better knowledge of this than me. I'm living here in the U.S. I'm just curious, like, are there parts of Europe that are, are in your mind, more amenable or friendly to, to these ideas uh, and maybe more likely to adopt something like, you know, Monero and, and Bitcoin? Are there? Well, we, we, we met there in, in Prague. Mm -hmm. Prague is, okay. is one very good example. Mm -hmm. I, I would even say that Prague is probably at this point in time the right. the main hub of cryptocurrencies in Europe. Oh just wow! Just because yeah. of of what what Pavel did with with the Institute of, of Crypto Anarchy, I I think it's a great project. I, I really have to congratulate the guys on, on what they did there. It's amazing! It's amazing! Just amazing! Yeah, that's, it is. That's, it is. That's going to be a, that's and, an historic place. Yeah. Do, doing something like that in Europe is extra hard. So, again, it's just amazing what, what the guys did there. Other than that, I'm, I'm not really sure. I mean, of course, there in, in almost every country there are some small oases, but it's when it comes to impact, I would have to say that probably the Institute of Crypto Anarchy is one of the central apps in, in Europe, definitely. I would always think like Germany too, like parts of Germany, especially given their, uh, you know, uh, be belief in, in cash, right? There's a strong belief in, in cash in parts of Germany, right? That's true. But if, if you look at the Western, um, West, West Germany countries or the former West Germany countries, they are, despite having a, a, a strong view on, on sound money, still they're, they, they are just descending into, into kind of monetary socialism quite fast. The Eastern, the, the East Germany um, areas are interestingly much more into you know, sound money and and pushing against the, the European money printing that is currently taking place in a in, in a much bigger scale. So the AFD, I, I don't think whether you heard of them, 
in Germany, it's a political party that is very much skeptical of Europe and and their what they are doing with the monetary policies and the and the um, redistribution among Europe. The AfD is very very um, popular in in the in the former East German um, mm. federal states and less so in West German German states. So that's interesting in my opinion. By the way, I'm not a huge fan of the AFD, just to make that clear. But I, I think when it it shows to a degree that the, the difference between former West Germany and former East Germany when it comes to, to sound money. And unfortunately, it's not that strong. The, 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 the principle of sound money is not that strong in West Germany as you would expect. What do you think about the uh, approaching CBDCs? Um, you know, we hear Christine Lagarde talking about it. Um, what's what's your what's your take on that? A very hot topic. Well, I'm I'm honestly not sure. When uh, when I was at, at MoneroCon, I was still quite sure that CBDCs are coming for Europe, and I still think that they will probably come. But my boss thinks differently, and and she said that probably because of the elections that are taking place, I think next year, European elections, they will definitely not go forward with it until after the elections. And after that, let's see how the, the majorities are in the European Parliament. So... She's a little bit more optimistic that CBDCs won't come for Europe. I personally think that probably they will come at some point. It, it will be the same the same strategy that is always used in in, in kinds of in, in in implementations like this. You know. The, the small steps, and then at some point there is no way back. What I also think is that probably the CBDCs will be implemented with some kind of universal basic income. So I, I think it will be combined to increase the acceptance of the CBDCs. But, yeah... Of, of course, it's it's very very dangerous what's what's happening there. Just look at the potential of a social scoring system that is already implemented in China. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to live in a Chinese society. So I think it's very important to do our best to first of all create alternative structures, and I think that Monero, among others, does a very very good job at that. But we we need better markets in you know avoiding uh, yeah being being surve- surveilled and th- there's much 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 stuff to do still still oh, out yeah. there so yeah I, I think it's very important to to create the, the alternative structures and I think that we should also do our best to slow down the, the implementation of, of CBDCs as 
as much as we can. I, I don't think we can avoid it, but we can probably slow down the implementation. And that's what we should try to do. Do you think it potentially becomes a, a catalyst, an eye opener to people where they realize, whoa, wait a minute, we, we don't want to head towards where China already is? Um, you know, now, now that they're trying to push these CBDCs upon us and people start to see them for what they actually are? Um, or unfortunately, no, the, the sheep just end up going along with it. What's your take on that? Well, five years ago, I would have probably said, yes, there's a good chance of, of that happening. Since then, we had COVID-19 and people just went along with ridiculous, really yeah. ridiculous restrictions on, on their lives, on their freedoms. We had what, what was happening, for example, in Canada with uh, Trudeau just going completely nuts against peaceful protesters, you know, the, the trucker protests. So, yeah, and, and people were just mostly just just taking it and, and were just kind of happy with it. So I'm really not sure whether, yeah, whether it will be an eye-opener. I, of course, hope so. But I'm, I'm skeptical, unfortunately, when it comes to that. We, we, we at least shouldn't count on it. And mm. we should more count on, again, creating the alternative structures. Because if you count on, on people resisting, I think that at some point you will regret not having alternatives. I agree. I agree with you there. Do you think the CBDCs will try to compete with cryptocurrencies in terms of the features they offer, even things like privacy? Like we saw Lagarde, I don't know if you've, you've seen her talking about um, how you know she she wants the CBDCs to have a, a cash-like feature to them. She even talks about there being a a way for people to there'll be a way for people to physically transfer um, these. European uh, euro uh, digital dollars, right? These euro dollars um, uh, physically peer to peer, like uh, like a bearer asset. I don't know if you, I don't know if you heard her talking about that, but she was basically basically ensuring everybody, don't worry, uh, you know, we want the cash to exist up to a certain degree, you know, as long as people, you know. For, for smaller amounts will allow people to transact perfectly privately. I guess, number one, do you think they're, they're being honest in that they're actually going to create something that will uh, have privacy built into it? Um, and yeah, number two, do you, do you think these things will be built to try to compete with other cryptos? Well, first question, no, they are, of course, not honest, because how, why would you even create such a currency if there are already cryptocurrencies out there that have the, extra, the, the exact features that they seem to want? Well, of course, they don't want it. But the, the only reason why they are implementing the the CBDCs is to have surveillance, to, to surveil the people, to monitor them in, in a more effective way. 
other than that, I, I, I can't see any reason. It's just about not losing power over people. That's my opinion. And, and Lagarde, I think in the interview that you were referring to, even said that, not explicitly, but implicitly, in, in my opinion. So, yeah, I, I don't think they, they're yes, honest. They are just... Mm-hmm. Yeah, she, she basically referenced like, okay, you know, they'll be private, but if, if for purposes of, of preventing terrorism and money laundering, if we, you know, we'll, we'll have protections built in place so those things can't, can't happen, which implies that they can't be private, right? Of course. Yeah, yeah. Right. Of, of course. Um, yeah, so it, it's just lip service to, to increase acceptance and after it is implemented, that will probably not even be, be mentioned anymore. So, no, of, of course not honest. And I also don't think that will be implemented. They will probably try to, to implement the CBDCs or introduce the CBDCs and then make it very, very hard to transfer the CBDCs or to buy cryptocurrencies with these CBDCs and to, you know, slowly, slowly phase out um, other kinds of money so they can essentially shut down the the on-ramps for cryptocurrencies. I hope they will fail. And of course, there are, if there are good markets for where you can buy and sell with cryptocurrencies, there are ways to, you know, circumvent this. But I think that is the the real danger when it comes to, to cryptocurrencies, when we're talking CBDCs. What do you, you know, continuing on this topic, because it's, it's certainly a hot topic right now, what do you think are the the best arguments in support of something like Monero, in support of digital cash, um, and in response to those that criticize it and saying, well, it can be used for money laundering, it can be used to finance terrorism, it can be used to uh, avoid paying your taxes. Uh, particularly the financing terrorism part, because that's becoming a hot topic with uh, what we saw with uh, allegedly Hamas um, raising money through cryptocurrency. Um, What do you, how how do you respond to, to that? And what do you think should be the messaging that's broadcast out there to, to, to society, the message that we should be getting out there as to why we can justify the nefarious use cases for that 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 can be formed with cash, uh, how how that can be justified? Okay, so first of all, there is no perfect world. There, there is no, and and there are also no perfect systems. Monero included, no system is is perfect. Everything that is human made has some flaws and has some some problems associated with it. And one of the problems associated with anonymous systems or also pseudonymous systems is that they can be used for bad. Of course, they can. But the question is, 
whether we want a system that everything can be perfectly monitored, can be perfectly surveilled, where there is no freedom left. And if you do something that the government or whatever institution or yeah, whatever institution is responsible for surveilling and, and monitoring and deciding, if, if that institution or that government does not agree with it, whether, yeah, w w whether you should be punished for that or whether you should have options to, to avoid surveillance and to, to, to preserve your freedom, essentially. The issue, in my opinion, that, that is very much related to that is the issue of self-censorship. Because if, the, if, if you are in a situation where everything is monitored and everything is surveilled, you are very, very likely to not say what you really think, to not act in a way that is according to what you really feel. To, to hide information, to not talk truthfully to other people, and that's very, very dangerous. And, yeah, it, it essentially leads to a society that is less innovative because if you can't think or if, if you risk your life, essentially, because there, there can also be some situations where if you go against what the government government wants, your money is frozen, or you you don't get to to have your money to buy food, and that means death by starvation. So, if there's such a situation, there will be less innovation because innovation is always risky because it goes against the status quo. Same goes for for disruption, and both of innovation and disruption is very, very important to improve societies, to improve uh, the, the economic situation of people, to make them more prosperous. So, yeah, it's very, very, very dangerous to just have some, some system that leads to self-censorship. And in, in that way, I think that it is worth having some... some privacy coins, some essentially structures that lead to to the the preserva preservation of freedom and of, of privacy, even though it also has some bad effects. Everything with good effects also has some, some bad effects. But I think that the good effects in that case clearly, clearly outweigh the bad effects. Do you love coffee and Monero as much as we do? Consider making gratuitous.org your daily cup. Pay with Monero for premium fresh beans. And if you like what you taste, send a digital cash tip directly to the Guatemalan farmers that made it possible. Proceeds help us grow this channel, gratuitous, and Monero. Yeah, I, I most certainly agree with you, right? Especially as we as we enter into a, we're already here uh, a digital age, right? Where where everything is digital and could so easily be 
tracked and traced and recorded. Humanity needs some way of preserving the ability to communicate peer to peer without without censorship, without surveillance, to avoid, like you said, the, these chilling effects. Because then we would just become this homogeneous glob where we where we can't where we can no longer evolve, right? Because we're we're just yeah. controlled. Um. Yeah. So do you? Yeah. I, I think I kind of asked you this at the conference, but I'll ask you again. What do you think happens in Europe, in the European Union? It seems like they're moving more and more towards um, eliminating these types of privacy tools like Monero and uh, things that could be used to, to, to hide your, your tracks when you're using other cryptocurrencies. Uh, certainly, you know, in the U.S. as well, they're moving in that direction. We understand the value in allowing these technologies to flourish, but do you think we get a large enough swath of society to agree to that to the point where the political will is there to prevent something like the banning of Monero in, in Europe or the United States? Well, let's talk about Europe. Hard question. I'm, I'm really not sure. I. I think it would at least be a hard task. I think we should try to remember people what, for example, happened with the trucker protests in Canada and, you know, bring up some some examples of the dangers of not having any privacy tools, what what could happen there, what the potential bad effects are. At the same time, yeah, considering again what happened in the last few years, I'm I'm not sure that it will be a successful strategy. I think that we should educate people on how they can protect their freedom and their privacy, even if governments are against it and acting against it. Because I, I don't really see an option to to have the majority of society or even um, most politicians to agree on that the preservation of, of freedom and of privacy is a good thing, especially as we are marching towards, unfortunately, a larger scale war. I, I think that's a very realistic option at this point. And especially in in times of war, I think that people are very, very likely to, to agree that it's a good thing to give up some of the freedoms and some of the privacy, because as you mentioned, for example, the, the terrorists have to be identified and yeah, I think it's unfortunate that things are going in that direction, but I'm really not that optimistic when it comes to that. Mm. You're saying, uh, you know, maybe we have to practice civil disobedience, right? That's the that's the only way. That, that's, that's certainly the the, the crypto anarchist way. Um, and we we need to get that meme out there to the to broader society. I believe. I think we need to. To get more people on the on the disobedience bandwagon for purposes of preserving our liberty, 
So your, your talk um, at MoneroCon was the economics of privacy. Let's, let's get into that a little bit. What, what was that all about? Can you give us the thesis there? Yeah, of course. My, my first argument is that privacy is the power to selectively reveal oneself to the world. And of course, you know where that is from. That's from the cypherpunk manifesto. Mm-hmm. And the argument that is made there has, in my opinion, two implications. First of all, is that privacy cannot be given to you, but that it must be taken because if it is given, somebody else has the power to reveal information about yourself. Mm. The second is that there can be no half privacy because limited privacy means that this the selection is done by somebody else so these these would be my my main arguments when it comes to to the economics of privacy and from that point i just showed why it is important to have to have privacy in our current society in our current economic situation and also showed some some of the arguments that are currently brought up when it comes to to privacy and in my opinion the 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 unfortunate thing is that most of the privacy arguments in some way or or another nowadays rely on government so government should protect uh, protect privacy and as I, I as I argued in the implications, that's not real privacy. That is just it, it's a privilege, not a right, in my opinion. Well, no, but yeah, but you're you're saying that privacy is a right ultimately and not a privilege, right? I yeah, that's my argument. Yes, yes, privacy yes. is a right, and not it's a, not a privilege. But right. if you rely on governments to give you. That, right. In that case, it's a privilege. Right. Treating privilege instead of like a right. Yeah. So, yeah. so do you ultimately think um, does does Austrian economics uh, suggest that as well? I right. I mean, I, I'm just asking this. I know the answer, but I, I just want you to further explain things. So, do you do you think uh, privacy is a? Do you think it's a natural right? Uh, that's a very very uh, hard question for me because I don't really believe in natural rights. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm kind of like in the Misesian camp when it comes to that. And I think that, you know, rights explain, explain are... that a little bit more. If you explain before you even get into that answer, the difference between, yeah. uh, I guess, why you don't believe in natural rights. I'd love to understand that deeper. Well, I, I don't think by nature anybody has has rights. I, I don't think just because you are born, you don't have any rights. You have to deserve the rights. You have to act in a way to make you deserving of rights. And in my opinion, that means to take rights. Because as I already was going into, a right that is given to you is not a right, but is a privilege. And therefore, in my opinion, to have rights, you have to take them. And that means that the 
you have to act in a way to deserve the rights. So taking them implies that you have to act in a way that that you deserve the rights. So th that's essentially my my point of view. But of course, it it comes with with some some real issues, because then everyone who who's just saying, yeah, I I deserve the right. I just take it, essentially has the right. So it's not a very satisfactory position for me, which is why I'm kind of struggling with that position still. But I, I still don't believe that there are any natural rights that you are just deserving by, by being born or by logic or... Yeah, by by some kind of objective rationality, I I think that's that's not something that that exists, or it's just a system that kind of tries to make human societies function in a perfect way. And as I already said, human human societies, human systems, are not perfect. And if you try to construct a legal system that is just based on the premise that we are able to construct something perfect, I think it will ultimately fail. But again, that's just my opinion. I'm happy for everyone who has a different opinion. And yeah, just, just let me know your opinion because again, I'm, I'm very much struggling with my current position on rights. I'm not happy with the position that I'm currently in and maybe somebody could could help me solve the, the, the riddle of, you know, the, the difference between privileges and rights. What would Hayek say? I mean, that, that, that's a difficult question, but I'm, uh, I think you would know better than me. Um, you know, what, what's, what's kind of his take? On, on natural, well, on natural rights. I, I I would say that Hayek has a very uh, ev ev yeah evolutionary concept of rights. So he's basically just saying uh, we should rely on on human societies to improve the law by you know transact transactions and the, over time the system will get better and better and better hopefully at least. So that, that's kind of a problematic summary of, of Hayek in some ways, because there are also some, some differences between earlier Hayek and later Hayek. But if I have to summarize his position in, in a short way, I, I would summarize probably in, in that way. Hmm. What would Hayek say about... The right to privacy. I mean, he, he talks about uh, you know property rights, right? Specifically, does he talk about privacy rights at all? Directly? Uh, directly, I'm not completely sure. I, I think at least implicit, implicitly he does, um, and his argument is mainly utility based. So. 
I, I think that he would probably argue in a similar way that I just just did with, yeah, there are some bad things happening with with privacy. And privacy is, of course, also misused by, by terrorists. But the good things coming from privacy are very, very likely much, much more and, and outweigh the, the bad effects. So, yeah. And then, so, so getting back to your your presentation, um, what were what kind of what was your you you talk about what privacy is, um, the difference between rights and privileges? Yeah, then just power to selectively reveal oneself, but then you get into the the economics of it, right? So you look at it from an economics angle. And essentially, what are the you essentially get down to what are the arguments for and against government regulation of privacy, right? From an economic standpoint. Yeah, I, I just made a summary there of what governments are or, or what the current arguments of economists are when it comes to privacy, whether government should get involved to regulate privacy what the negative effects of that is, what the positive effects of that could be. And yeah, just just made a quick summary when it comes to, to market efficiency, when it comes to privacy costs, and and also the the yeah whether people are willing to pay for privacy. That was also a topic. And then also going into what the problem is if some institutions sell your data to other institutions or companies and then they use your data without you even knowing. So th that was all dealt with in, in the presentation. And yeah, then, then I just made the argument that, in my opinion, that overlooks two major issues if government regulates privacy. And one of them is moral hazard because people are then acting less responsible with their data for the simple reason that they can rely on government to protect their data. So why even have the have, have to bear the costs to protect your privacy if your privacy is, is protected anyway by government. And you see that for, for many, many people nowadays who are just saying, yeah, government should step in to protect my data from the, from the Zuckerbergs of, of the world and stuff like that. So I, I think it's quite unfortunate that the situation is the way it is. I, I think that we would probably be better if we just tell people to take care of the privacy themselves. It's, it's their issue. They have to make sure that they only give data away that they are happy to have out there in the world. That would be that would lead to much more responsible people and it would also lead to less privacy infringements of third parties. So for example, if, if somebody is very irresponsible with 
his data and gives away, like, for example, where he was last weekend and who, which other people were there as well. He essentially infringed on your privacy if you were there with him. So I, I think we should teach people to be more responsible with privacy again and not not have them give give away all the information that they have for, for free because you know government takes care of of all the risk associated with that. And yeah, then there's a second issue that I already talked about, uh, which is if the government is, you know, regulating privacy in a different way, then there's also the risk of self-censorship, which leads to the very dangerous effects, economic and, and societal effects that we already talked about. So, yeah, that was my main argument against government regulation of privacy and for alternative structures when it comes to protecting privacy, because I think that's the only good way forward to really ensure that people have have their, their privacy and their freedoms protected. I, I don't trust too much in governments, at least, considering the, the last few years, even, even before that, so... Forget about government protection of, of privacy and, and freedoms. It's just not working. I just want to make sure I understand one, one of your points because you, you covered a lot there. What, what do you mean when you say, um, you know, when you talk about how privacy affects market efficiency? Well, you want to expound on that a little bit? This, yeah, this yeah of course. Yeah. Of, of, of course. The, the argument that is made there is that if, if people provide all their information and if they are completely, you know, are, are telling the companies and all the other participants in the market all their information, the market would, that's the argument, function much more efficiently because then all this information could go into the market process and all that information could lead to a much more efficient market outcome where, where people are getting exactly what they want. Well, there's there's a good argument to make for that. And it's it's to a degree, it's true. But I don't think because there would be a more efficient market outcome potentially we should we should be like yeah we force you to give away your information because that also has some very dangerous side effects like for example the self censorship which then leads to a less efficient market outcome right right so it, it's it's not it's not that easy as the arguments are sometimes presented by economists and i have to be really really critical of of my own profession there Sometimes the, the things are are much more complex than they are made out to be by economists. And then you know another thought re related, right? Just just the flow of of money itself. When when money is fundamentally private, it f it flows more fluidly because there's no 
nothing you could attach to the transaction itself, right? There's no history attached to transactions. Um, when when money is actually fungible, uh, does it doesn't that arguably make for a more efficient economy when when privacy is built into money itself? Yeah, granted, you may not know where where the money is coming from, what it's been used for in the past. Um, but it 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 adds efficiency in that there's no friction between transactions because there's there's nothing there's no other information that gets passed along with the transaction. Perfectly said. I have nothing to add. Yes, I agree. <laughs> I'm I'm just curious. I'm just trying to understand that from the standpoint of saying transparency adds efficiency. But in this case, that's an example of obscurity adding efficiency. Right. Yeah. That's why I said it's a complex issue. You you can't really say, yeah, let's have complete transparency and then the market will function in a perfectly efficient way. That would rely. Uh, that would. That would be true if there's no negative. Negative effects of of having some less popular positions or having some less popular viewpoints or having some less popular tastes, let's whatever it is. If if people would completely ignore the the things they don't like and there would be no negative consequences because of some, some yeah less popular tastes for example, then it might be true that transparency is is, is good. But still, th- that's not the world we are living in. So yeah, we, we we shouldn't construct models based on a world that would be yeah that that's not our world, but would be some some kind of nice nice paradise with rainbows and unicorns. <laughs> well, well. Unfortunately, further along this, the, these lines of uh, pretending we live in, in different worlds, what, 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 what's your take on what a Monero world would look like versus a Bitcoin world? So the difference being a perfectly traceable ledger versus you know an obfuscated ledger. How do you see... Obviously, there's going to be some combination of those things happening together. But what do you see as ultimately the differences? In, you know, if we had two different two different worlds with two different economies, I know this is a difficult difficult question. But any perhaps insight you could give us into how you would see those worlds looking differently? What the what the economic effects might be? What the what it might look like from an economic perspective? Okay, so. In, in a purely Bitcoin world, I would say that people have to be more careful uh, compared to a purely Monero world because, yeah, it's, they, their transactions are traceable and they, they might be identified with, you know, what they were buying if they didn't do a good job with pseudonymity, stuff like that. So, yeah, people would have to be more careful that also goes back to the to the problem of self-censorship so i think we would have less innovation less disruption less progress less evolution less yeah just 
less wealth developing in in a purely Bitcoin world compared to a Monero world. But I also think that the Monero world will probably be more dangerous. So keep in mind that freedom is dangerous. And the Monero world is a more free, a freer world, but it is also a more dangerous world. So yeah, it, it has its positives, it, it has its negatives, but I, I personally would choose the, the Monero world if, if pressed, so. Same here, same here. Uh, but the more likely scenario is the, these worlds are gonna be coexisting together, right? So how, how, do you, how do you envision that? Do you see it as uh, Monero really being more dark market? Um, its own island, uh, separate from mainstream society, or how, how do you see them uh, working together? Well, I don't think it would be purely uh, black market. It would probably be the people who want to to do something that is dangerous to the status quo will more likely use Monero and the people who are quite happy with the status quo and and don't are not very much into disruption and innovation would more likely use Bitcoin. That's of course an overgeneralization. So it's it's not that clear cut of course, but I, I think that people who, if if if, if the people that um, that are using, you know, that that are inventing and disrupting society, if they have something to fear because of that, they will definitely go with Monero, which makes the usage of Monero by these people more likely. But again, not not clear cut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and and my hope is Monero becomes the 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 island, the the life the lifesaver uh, or the lifeboat for those who who wake up to the realities of you know CBDCs and, and what it means and what they're losing by by not opting out um, into this Liberty lifeboat. Uh, I I agree. I agree. But I prefer. Bitcoin very very much to CBDCs just to yeah yeah yeah, yeah make yeah, that yeah. point as well. <laughs> it's hard to argue otherwise. <laughs> I I would say on I could see a scenario where you know Bitcoin kind of becomes the de facto CBDC global currency by way of governments controlling controlling the mining uh putting pressure on miners when they want to uh censor transactions and essentially building a surveillance system layer over on top on top of bitcoin uh so so kind of in a roundabout way turning it into a effectively a cbdc is it's an extreme argument but i think there's reasons to believe things could head in that direction for bitcoin I, I hope you're wrong, but I can see the risk. Yeah. Yeah. Martin, thank you so much for for jumping on. Is are there any other things on your mind that you want to bring up? Anything that uh, you're hoping Nothing I would specifically? No, thank you. No. Nope. <laughs> 
thanks thanks for doing this where can people learn more about you find find the stuff that you're working on learn more to learn well more. best would be our website that is austriancenter.com okay all right any any other info you want to put out there no people should just contact me via the website it's it's the best way for me <laughs> all right thank you so much martin and uh yeah man we'll, we'll leave it at that cheers buddy thank you thank you thank you cheers Hi, Monero Land. Thank you for joining us on this week's episode. We release new episodes every week. You can find and subscribe to our show on YouTube, Odyssey, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Go to Live for a full list of places where you can watch and listen. If you want to interact with us, guests, or other podcast listeners, you can follow us on Twitter. Monero Talk is also made possible from contributions by viewers and listeners like you. And supporting us is easier than ever by typing in monerotalk.crypto in your monero.com or cake wallet send address field to send us a tip. Once again, thank you so much for listening, and we look forward to being back next week.